So I always had like, I don't know, a bit of an interest in it, I guess. And then um, after being a waiter, I was like, oh, actually, you know what? Like I was like speaking to the chef and he's like, oh, I've actually got a position coming up for like a little apprentice. And I was like, you know what, I'll give it a go. And loved it. And like, I haven't really looked back since, you know? And it's kind of like one of those amazing kind of careers where it can take you anywhere, you know? And like, it can be any language, any culture, and you kind of can connect through food, which is pretty amazing, you know? Today on Dirty Linen, we are heading to Hong Kong to talk to Mark Catchpole. Mark was a chef at Attica for a number of years, and two years ago, we were uh, making soup together, packing soup together for the Attica Soup Project. I was really excited when I saw that Mark had uh, fetched up in Hong Kong as sous chef at Roganic, Simon Rogan's restaurant there. Uh, uh, Mark, welcome to Dirty Linen. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Good to be here and uh yeah nice to hear i would, be, would say nice to see you again but uh unfortunately we're doing this uh audio only so it's nice to hear your voice and uh catch up yeah well i'm so interested to hear about life in hong kong and yeah what you've been doing since you left attica i mean let's start there because i mean hong kong is a city that I've visited, you know, a number of times, spent quite a bit of time there, but, you know, there's always, it's always changing. And of course, there's a lot of, you know, political pressures happening there at the moment, as well as, as well as the pandemic. I mean, just give us, give us a picture of it. You know, what, what's life like there? Um, I mean, it's definitely um, on the road to being more on to, on the road to normality, should we say? But initially, initially when I got here, there was lots of restrictions still. So I kind of Felt like after a two-year lockdown in uh, Melbourne and then to come back to another lockdown was like, gosh, these lockdowns are just following me around the world. But, um, yeah, it's definitely uh, on the road to sort of normality, should we say. There's, like, not many restrictions anymore, which is um, good. You know, so I feel like the kind of the mood for the people is very good and it's kind of getting a bit more positive. Yeah, that's great. And what about, um, you know, travel? Are there lots of visitors coming in and out of the city? So um, at the moment, I believe like the international borders are still closed. So like you need, um, you kind of need a reason to enter. So you can't come on like a visitor visa. You kind of need to have like employment or be a Hong Kong resident and things like that. So, um, but I believe in like, um, there's rumors going around like sort of July sort of time that they'll kind of start easing this and they'll allow visitors in, which is, um, which is very good for the city and very good for like all the businesses and things like that, which is struggling, you know, I'm sure. So, um, yeah, hopefully, like, things are going in the right direction, so it's kind of, like, all positives at the moment, which is uh, very good. Yeah, that's – I didn't know that. So that's that's really interesting. Um, I mean, so what's it like in the city? Because it's it's usually so bustling. There are usually, you know, flights landing, you know, every 30 seconds. Well, I mean, is, is – tell – yeah, what's, what's the restaurant world like? Um, well, I'll kind of start when I landed. Um, so when we got here, um, the airport, we got it was like a movie. It's like so strict and regimented, but I mean, it works. It's like everyone's very disciplined and does what they're told, you know? And um, yeah, we kind of go through all the process at the airport. You probably spend about probably a total of like five hours at the airport because you have to do a PCR test and then you have to wait inside the airport until you have your PCR result. And then you can get transferred to your quarantine hotel. So it's quite a big like ordeal, but it's very well organized. You know, they like move you around, but it's, all, it's like <clears throat> a very good process. So it wasn't like stressful at all and things like that. But um, yeah, and I did like a 14-day quarantine in a hotel, which was um, interesting. <clears throat> Definitely uh, by the uh, by the 13th day, I was ready. I was climbing the walls, ready to get outside. Um, and then kind of coming out, I'd, I'd, I'd never been to Asia before, so it's definitely a definitely a slight shock to the system. 
but um it was very good like and kind of coming out was it wasn't as busy as expected but i guess that's because of the lockdown and i think a lot of people um a small portion of people have left because of like there's so many lockdowns here and things like that you know so i'm sure a lot of people who can work remotely you know will leave and just go and work from another country that's a bit more a bit more freedom should we say but um definitely in the last i'd say three or four weeks it's kind of feel, feeling like very normal there's people everywhere you know it's got a kind of like a bit, a bit, a bit of like a bit more of a buzz to it now which is a uh, exciting to see you know i feel like it's getting like now i'm starting to see like the real hong kong she said which is good that's really good um and what's roganic like as a restaurant like give it set the scene for us um so it's like very similar to sort of like Samis style in the uk obviously um kind of taken over to, to here so we try and work with like a lot of like local farmers and we'll try and source it's obviously british influenced um but uh yeah we're trying to work with like a lot of local farmers at like in hong kong there's not a huge amount of um items produced in hong kong so it's very difficult but like we're trying to get like we get some amazing tomatoes and carrots and things like this that we can try and like work with and do whatever we can with you know and fish and things like this so we're doing what we can with local producers and we're trying to obviously do more and uh there's definitely like some things in the pipeline that we can do in the future you know so that's definitely like exciting in that century so and i mean for you you know, moving from restaurant to restaurant, gaining skills and experience, exposure to different kinds of environments. I mean, what is it about the job that appealed to you? Um, so I had a colleague that I used to work with um, at the Fat Duck, um, a guy called Ollie. Um, he's like the executive chef of like uh, Simon Rogan, uh, Roganic and Aulis, like uh, London and here in Hong Kong. So um, he kind of like... Um, offered me the job, I guess, and always said, would you be interested in something um, over here? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I like a little new challenge. I'd sort of spent the four, just over four years at Attica, you know, like kind of was kind of ready for something new, you know, loved every minute of Attica, but yeah, I was kind of ready for a new challenge. So I sort of, you know, took the plunge and come over here. Um, but it's definitely like, um, it's a cool place to work, you know, like they've got a good like ethos. There's like um, a lot of restaurants, over here, work like horrific hours, and some places will only have six days off a month. Yeah, but um, Roganic is very good. Like, you know, I only work four days a week, very similar to Attica. You know, they've got a good attitude, they respect the staff, everyone's treated well, paid well. You know, like, it's very good in that sense, which is good. Which is like part of the reason that they, like sold it to me. I had that kind of same uh, ethos as like Ben, you know, and respecting staff, you know, etc. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so good. And are there any dishes, techniques or produce that you found like really surprising that have made you really glad that you, you're exposed to uh, this new environment? Um, I mean, it's definitely, um, uh, I mean, I've tried a few of the local dishes, but I'm, uh, some things are still a little bit too uh, adventurous for me. But, um, you know, the, I, haven't, I haven't tried the turtle soup yet, but I'm not sure how I feel about that. But, um, yeah, chicken feet and things like this, you know. It's definitely, yeah. Uh, it's cool to see some um, some local food and some local culture, which is uh, pretty amazing. And you don't see that uh, in Australia or the UK, you know, which is pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, Mark, I'd love to just you know take us back in time to when you first got into the industry. Tini, yeah. I mean, what actually interested you in the, the whole world of, of being a chef and, and restaurants? Um, well, initially at school, I was like planning to like, I was quite sporty. I wanted to be, I got in my back of my mind, I wanted to be a PE teacher. 
like a gym teacher at a school. It was like my plan when I was, you know, still in high school. But then um, I started uh, working as like a waiter part-time. I was like, okay, I kind of like food, you know? And my, my grandmother was like super foodie and was like growing things in her garden and was like cooking, you know, all sorts of things and like kind of lived on a farm, you know? So there was like lots of produce around and seeing lots of things being cooked. So I always had like, I don't know, a bit of an interest in it, I guess. And then um, after being a waiter, I was like, oh, actually, you know what? Like I was like speaking to the chef and he's like, oh, I've actually got a position coming up for like a little apprentice. And I was like, you know what, I'll give it a go. And loved it. And like, I haven't really looked back since, you know? You know, it's kind of like one of those amazing kind of careers where it can take you anywhere, you know, and like you can be any language, any culture, and you kind of can connect through food, which is pretty amazing, you know? Yeah, that's, that's why I love it as well. Is, tell us more about your grandmother and the kind of food that you grew up with. Like, what part And what part of England was it? Um, so I'm from Suffolk originally, which is kind of like the southeast coast, you know? Um, sort of like, yeah, very coastal. Lots of like, there's lots of good seafood there. Um so my grandma was making. My grandma made like an amazing Sunday roast. Every Sunday we'd go over there. Me, and my brother, my parents. You know, it'd be like yeah, amazing Yorkshire puddings, roast beef, like gravy, all that kind of jazz. Just like very traditional, like British home cooked food. You know, like it would be like an amazing uh, baked rice pudding or an apple crumble. You know, from like apples in the garden. You know, things like this. Yeah, I can't go wrong with those classics. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Nothing too revolutionary, but like just like good, honest food, which is a uh, pretty amazing, you know, a good, a good, a good, a good base to start, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. And when you moved into the professional sphere, I mean, w- was that a, a shock to see how professional kitchens worked, or did you just get into the rhythm and the excitement of it? Um, I mean, I guess it was a bit of a shock at the start, and I guess um, when a lot of chefs are young, you know, you want to go crazy and do all this, and you want to have twenty things on the plate and overcomplicate it, you know. But obviously looking like getting more experience, things like that, like eight out of 10 times less is more, you know? So it's interesting and it's like, um, it's definitely been a journey, you know, and I've loved every minute of it. And looking back, like worked some amazing places and seen, seen lots of things and met some incredible people, you know, around the world, which I've like got friends, you know, it's one of those industries as well. You can network and I'm sure like you speak to someone and they'll know someone that you know, or if not, you know, like a friend of a friend, should we say? which is always pretty incredible speaking to different people around the world and <clears throat> things like that. Yeah. So you've worked at a couple of Heston Blumenthal restaurants at um, dinner in London and the Fat Duck, which you mentioned. Um, tell us about those experiences. Yeah. I mean, that was obviously um, not like a kind of next level of uh, intricacy and, you know, things like this and very gastronomic, which is incredible. Um, I'm very glad I did it. It was, um, I mean, it's very hard but it's very rewarding you know and you things you see and you know the precision and the attention to detail which is a uh, really amazing you know like <clears throat> i'm very glad i did it it's definitely i can take things away from it you know but it's maybe not necessarily that level of interest is not maybe what i see myself doing in the future you know maybe that kind of it's definitely i can take things away from it what what kind of dishes or you know preparations can you remember that um yeah people might be surprised to hear about it was just, um, you know, like the, the actual effort that went into everything. There would be maybe 12 people working in the kitchen and then there's like another six or seven working in like a prep area, just like creating all these dishes, you know, like um, there'd be someone maybe making like chocolate cards, like for the Petit Four, for the little sweet shop. And that's taking someone like four or five hours a day just making these, you know. It can be extremely repetitive, but it was also like, I think it gives you like um, 
like a matter of respect, you know, for the dish and, you know, the, the effort that goes into creating like this perfect experience, guest experience, you know? Yeah, it's, um, uh, I mean, it, it's, it actually makes me think about petty fours because so often when people actually get to that point of the meal, they are really like saturated in experience and food and sometimes drink as well. I mean, you know, what, did you get much chance to see the response of diners to these intricate and, you know, lavish dishes at the Fat Duck? Um, I mean, we had, we had a little like video camera in the kitchen so we could see guests a little bit, but um, you got, I mean, like, we couldn't see too many reactions, but the people who come into the kitchen, you know, for kitchen tours and things like that, they're always mind blown. And I feel like it's one of those restaurants for I me, mean, you, you wouldn't want to go every year, but it's kind of one of those places you'd want, you'd want to tick it off your list, your bucket list, you know, in your lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting because I suppose so often in restaurants the most rewarding customers are the regulars because, you know, they love what you do and they keep coming back. But I guess in, in a restaurant like that and, and, and at Attica as well, it's like so many people would be there exactly for that, you know, to tick it off. Um, yeah, I mean, what's how do you feel about that? Um, I mean, I, can't, I, can't, I think it's kind of nice to have a mixture of both, you know, like some people like the regulars can give you a bit of honest feedback and say, oh, this change isn't that or that, you know, and... But then it's also amazing to see, like, those people who make it, like, a real special occasion. It's their 10th wedding anniversary and it's a real big deal and they've, like, travelled interstate to come to Attica. And it's, you know, it's like kind of, it's nice to have that bit of both, you know. Like, it's nice to see a, a friendly face, you know, maybe that you've served before or recognised or they recognise you. But then it's also, like, you've maybe someone made someone's, you made someone's year by, like, blowing their mind with food. I always find that incredible, you know. Yeah, so true. That's amazing. Yeah, exactly. You know, like the whole thing, the service, you know, it's like the whole the whole package, you know. Yeah. And like at the Fat Duck, you know, can you remember a job that was like your favourite to do and something that perhaps you were like, oh, no, do I really have to do that again? <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a few. Um, definitely, it was just like sometimes the scale of um, the scale of operation, you know, sometimes having to pick making lovage oil or parsley butter for like the snail porridge. And you've got 10 boxes of parsley that you've got to process and it's just such a huge task. But um, we kind of like always sort of muck in together and, you know, there'd be maybe six of us in like the prep area. And um, just kind of like, it was quite like good camaraderie there. And it was good. There was good like team teamwork, which was nice to see, you know, like everyone would um, sit down and have dinner together and lunch together. It was quite good in that sense. And it was like, there was always a, like every, maybe every few months there was a staff party. Or something like that. They'd organise like a little event, like a sports day or something like this, you know. So <clears throat> it's pretty good, you know. And then, how did it come that you moved from the Fat Duck all the way to Australia and a job at Attica? Yeah, so I just kind of organised myself a little working holiday. I'd been like at the Fat Duck, maybe I was approaching thirty. I'd been at the Fat Duck like a year and a half, two years almost, and I was like, oh, like, I want to do something before I'm thirty, you know, like. I want to go something, do something like push myself out of my comfort zone a little bit, you know. So, um, yeah, booked a flight, came over, kind of wasn't a hundred percent sure where I wanted to work. Like organised a few interviews and things like that, and had an interview at Asker, and then um, loved it. Kind of loved everything they were doing. Like got on really well with Matt and Ben. Had a great time, and yeah, started. Did my uh, did my six months like working holiday. And then um, was kind of unsure what else I was going to do. My, my sort of next plan, maybe I was going to go work somewhere else or something. And then go back to the UK was like what I envisioned, you know. And then um, Ben and Matt like sat me down and were like, oh, what's your plan? You know, like what about if we sponsored you? Would you be willing to stay, you know? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, like, I love it here. I haven't really got any other plans right now. So let's do it. And um, 
yeah, stayed for stayed for like another three or four years, and um, yeah, it was pretty amazing. You know, learned so much from Ben and Matt, and you know, Ben's ethos to food and people and respect. You know, respect for the people around you, the people you're working with, working for, the food. Simple, like, could take so much away. I like learned so many things that I'll like cherish for the rest of my life. I feel like mostly about that sort of, I guess, approach and and philosophy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. Like. Yeah, his philosophy to food and, you know, respecting everything is so, so incredible, you know, and like, so special. It's great. It's great. Like, it's, it's so sad that it's like, almost like, it's rare to see sometimes, you know. Can you think of any examples that really show that? Just like the, you know, everyone being spoken to the same and treated the same. No one, anyone could come up. One thing I like to ask her was like, anyone could bring something to the table, like an idea for a dish or an idea of doing something, even just like a process to make something more efficient. Like any, it was very much anyone could do that there, you know, which is what I really like. It wasn't just like, oh, if you're a senior, you like anyone else's like opinion is irrelevant, you know, like it was only the sous chefs and the head chef would come up with something or do something or make a change. But if something, someone come up with something like, oh, let's do this, let's organize the fridge this way or do that. And then like any, anyone's, everyone's opinion matters, which is really amazing. And I'd love to see, and I would definitely like take that forward with me, you know, and try and implement that everywhere I go and, you know, hopefully when I have my own place, fingers crossed, maybe one day, I'll definitely be uh, be using everything I learned there to go forward. Yeah, that's so telling, isn't it? Because I guess, you know, people often talk about culture change in hospitality and, you know, I, I suppose everyone's looking for kindness and respect and, you know, jobs that make them feel good rather than make them feel small um, and diminished. But it's um, it's so interesting that, you know, yeah, just to you're, you're a real example of how that change can occur. You know, you've, you've experienced something that you then want to take forward, you know, around the world. Like it's, it's really amazing and powerful. Yeah, exactly. I really I think it's like important, you know, just to make sure everyone's okay. You know, it's like a little question, you know, just saying like, are you okay? Or, you know, how is this? Or how are you going? Like, rather than just, you know, if you see someone sitting a bit quiet in the corner, maybe something's going on, you know, maybe they're a little bit behind. It takes, it requires absolutely no effort to say that or to ask someone or to help someone for five minutes, you know. <clears throat> and that was really good at Like, so if someone was running behind, we could move someone around and help them out, you know, and there's like really good camaraderie like that, which is uh, really amazing to see. It wasn't just, oh, you're all, you're in the, you're in the whoop, you know, like you're in the, you're falling behind. <clears throat> so um, you're on your own, you know, you're in a bit of trouble. So um, it was nice to see, you know, and I definitely, pretty special place to work, you know, in that sense. And, I mean, you were at Attica in the real thick of the pandemic and all the lockdowns. I mean, you know, there's a lot that's been said about Attica's response to it and, you know, how hard Ben fought to keep everybody on staff. But can you you talk about it from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, it was incredible, really, like what we did. Literally overnight, we were like, right, we're going to come up with a takeaway menu. We're going to run it tomorrow. <clears throat> and like how we just did it overnight and like no one said no no one was like, oh shit and like no one huffed and shrugged their shoulders you know everyone just like right we'll do this let's move this let's clear out the restaurant let's fill it full of us all get some stuff boxes ordered let's just start making bolognese you know like it's coming out of our ears but <laughs> it was incredible you know? it's just incredible how we could like how ben we could just do it and everyone's approach to it was so positive and you know the business model flipped over flipped you know overnight and now we're, now we're doing takeaway, but like, we're so incredibly busy and it was, you know, incredible that everyone could support us and obviously keep all the staff employed. You know, we've got a lot of visa staff and um, obviously initially they were uh, no zero, zero support from the government. So like for, for myself as well included, if like 
Attica would have closed, I probably would have had to go back to the UK. So I'm very grateful for what Ben did and what Attica did, you know, obviously keeping me employed and all the other visa staff and even even like the citizens and the locals, you know, like doing what they did to keep us all, yeah, keep us all in jobs, which is amazing. Mm. Yeah, it was. I mean, I got to see a little bit of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you were there in the thick of it and, you know, obviously doing the soup project was a incredible gesture that like, I mean, you and Ben, I can't take any credit for it, man. I mean, I only helped pot up a little bit of soup every now and again, but, you know, you and Ben are there at five o'clock in the morning making soup for, you know, to give away to people who are less, slightly less fortunate, you know, and struggling a little bit. All the donations we got, you know, it's just really amazing. Yeah, it was really amazing. It's just, you know, those social media memories pop up and, you know, all the two-year ones are coming around. It's just really hard to imagine how in the in the thick of it everyone was. And now this this time two years ago, it's like Melbourne was reopening for the first time and that was just such a, I mean, God, it was just, I just can't even deal with those those memories and that roller coaster of emotions. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to imagine now looking back at it. Yeah. I guess there was no choice, but I mean, we've, we've pulled through the other side and, you know, it's like, it, it's definitely a learning. So I'm sure it's taught a lot of people around the world, many things, you know. Yeah. But I mean, it must have been, I remember you, you did more than just put soup in tubs. Like you also, I remember you being there like slicing bread and, you know, helping pack bags and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it must have been, you know, you were, you were on a visa and there were all these visa holders that were lining up to get food to feed them for the week. Like, I mean, how did that feel for you? I mean, I can definitely, I can relate to them. And I felt very privileged that I was still employed and working and was still able to, you know, survive, should we say. So it's definitely very um, humbling and much more like a bit of a reality check, you know, that like how <clears throat> how fragile it can be, you know, and like how easy it could go and like be taken away. Like my life could be flipped upside down without like, without my choice. You know, I could be forced to go back to the UK without really wanting to. I mean, it wouldn't be, I mean, I'm not a bad thing. I haven't seen my family in three years which is um, very sad. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a um, pretty crazy thing. I'm not looking forward to hopefully touch wood. We'd have to endure that again. But um, it's definitely, like, it's, I was trying, like, anything that happens, you know, you can take a take something away from it, even if it's a, you know, a mistake or a, something bad. I'm sure you can learn something from everything, you know. Take the positives away from it, you know. Yeah. Well, what do you take away from that? Just, like, being... Um, being flexible you know and you know if we need to change and like we need to do takeaway and tomorrow we need to make 180 lasagnas that's what we need to do you know the business is going to stay afloat and we're going to do this because we need to do this you know just being you know being being fluid i think is very good like in hospitality you know yeah absolutely like if like if front of house needs some help carrying you know taking stuff to i can like i'm quite happy to take a dish to a table explain it quite happy to do anything you know polish glasses if i need to whatever you know yeah, break down some of those hierarchies and... Exactly, you know, like, I think it's for the, it's for the greater good, you know. I feel like I, I wouldn't, I feel I wouldn't ask someone to do something that I wouldn't do myself. It's like quite a good mindset to have. Yeah, interesting. Well, Mark, you've sort of alluded to the fact that you might want to open your own place one day. I mean, how do you see the future rolling out before you? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's quite an unsure world at the moment, so um, I don't plan anything yet, but I don't know. I mean, I'm very open to anything you know so i'll spend a bit of time in hong kong and then see what happens here you know and see what happens with the group it's very uh the groups the group here like the simon road groups expanding a lot and there's many options there so we'll see what happens um see what happens there which is uh, exciting 
I'll be, uh, I'll be sure to keep you posted. <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> Please do. Um, what sort of stuff do you love cooking the most? Um, so um, in Hong Kong at the moment, there's not really, well, not at the moment, but in general, there's not much of a, not many people cook at home just because the apartments are so small, things like that. Like a lot of apartments that, um, that we viewed, they don't have an oven and it'll be like one, one hob. So um, a lot of people will just eat out here because like um, it's very cheap to eat out, like local food and things like that. But um, I I really enjoy cooking at home, like whatever it might be, whether it's roasting a chicken, you know. I like I enjoy just something like that, just a simple roast chicken, you know, maybe some potatoes or something like this and a nice sauce. But uh, there's just like a, it's a beautiful chicken that's been roasted and rested correctly, and you know it's nice and juicy. I'm very happy with this, you know, a nice bottle of wine, of course. <clears throat> I'm very happy. The simple things, you know. Yeah, absolutely. What's a dish on the menu at Roganic that, you know, if people were going to come to the restaurant, if they could somehow get into Hong Kong, perhaps they're listening in Hong Kong, what do you reckon people shouldn't miss? Um, what's good at the moment? Um, so we're doing this chicken um, dish at the moment. So it's like this three yellow chicken. So it's like a local chicken. Um, so we're poaching it and roasting it, the breast. And then um, on the side is like a piece of maitake mushroom. That has been uh, cooked in miso butter and then um, kind of like finished on the plancha. And there's a little white mushroom puree. And then um, from the legs of the chicken, we've confit them down, kind of pressed them to like a little terrine, and then we've cut them into a cube with pan that. So we're kind of like, they're very good at um, trying to utilize all parts. So there's like very little wastage, you know. I think it's one of the the only, or maybe one of the one of very few uh, restaurants in Asia to have like a green star. So, like, we do a lot of, like, sustainability and trying to use up all, like, you know, all parts of everything, you know, whether it's the stalks or something. The stalks of wild garlic at the moment, we're, uh, we're brining them and pickling them and using that as a garnish for another dish. So, it's, like, it's really it's really good to see, and I'm definitely, like, learning a lot about, like, utilising all parts, you know, and, like, zero wastage, which is a, <clears throat> is really exciting, really good to, like, a good skill to have, I think, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing because I, I think sometimes – in you know those big cities where a lot of the produce comes from elsewhere, it can sometimes feel a little bit disconnected from those cycles of produce and waste. So yeah, that's re- that's really encouraging. Yeah, it's good. I feel like I mean, I feel like it's a it's a good place to work. I'm enjoying it so far. You know, I'm very uh, excited for the future. Amazing, Mark. Um, well, it's yeah, so great to catch up with you at this, you know, the next exciting stage of your career. Really, really appreciate you giving an insight into what you're up to and where you've come from and where you might be going. But yeah, thanks for chatting to us today. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. Take care. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.